Well, this morning we are concluding our fall series uh, as we've looked at themes from the books of Joel and Amos, and we were going to be concluding that study today talking about um, the Spirit uh, and the role of the Spirit in our restoration and in God's restoration of all things. And if you remember, as we've talked about Joel and Amos, we've, thought, we've talked about the gospel arc of these books, the themes that run through Joel and Amos, and the themes are themes of judgment, where God is disciplining and, and calling his people to be honest about their sin, to be real about their sin, to confess their sin, which is, leads into repentance. So God calls out judgment for the, point, for the purpose of calling his people to repentance, and on the other side of repentance, he promises restoration. And last week, Josh introduced this idea of restoration uh, in the book of Joel, and then we're going to conclude that today. So we're going to be looking at Joel chapter 2 in just a few moments uh, and closing out that chapter. As I was thinking about restoration, um, so when I, I, I used to have T-Mobile, um, and that was a challenging experience. And then after that, uh, I, I moved to um, Sprint, which then got bought by T-Mobile. So best, best laid plans there. But I eventually I realized living here, like in downtown Opelika, I had very terrible coverage. And I was like, well, that's not going to work. So I got Verizon. So this has nothing to do with, with cell phones. This is just how I ended up getting Discovery Plus for a year. All right. Verizon said, hey, we'll give you Discovery Plus for a year. So I've been watching Discovery Channel, at their app, for about seven months now. And uh, I was already pretty hooked on HGTV, and now I'm, I'm really hooked. So when my year is up, I'm pretty sure that is going to be my streaming service of, uh, of choice. But it also comes with the DIY network. So I'm just share sharing this with you so that if you ever get Discovery Plus, you can understand some of the nuances. In HGTV, there's a lot of home restoration projects. And in DIY network, there's a lot of home restoration projects, but they don't oftentimes mean the same thing. The DIY network, I found a couple shows that I really like, and really what they try to do is take a house and restore it back to the way that it was, like in the 1930s. Like pretty much everything. Well, they update the electrical. But other than that, they want it to all look original. Whereas with HGTV, they want the outside of the house to look fairly original, but the inside, they want to completely remake. And what I've learned is I love HGTV's understanding of restoration because I actually want a giant bathroom. Like, I want a giant bathroom with all that comes with a beautiful master bath. Like, that's what I want. And you don't get that on a DIY network. You get that on HGTV. And here's where I'm going with this idea of restoration. When God says he's going to send the Spirit in Joel chapter 2, it's a kind of restoration that we see in HGTV, where you take something old and you bring it back to life and you make it better than it was. You give it more than it had before. All of those, all of those bells and whistles that you get with a home restoration HGTV versus the DIY network. That's what we get in, in the restoration that God promises. Because when he says he's going to pour out his spirit on us, that's something that his people didn't have even in the Garden of Eden. Like the restoration is going beyond what was originally there. And so I want us to capture that. I want us to hold on to that idea because when we talk about receiving the spirit, I think all too often we we take where we live in God's history of redemption, we take it for granted. Something incredibly special about living in this moment after God has poured out his spirit. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then I'll read our text. Father, thanks so much for some time to spend here in Joel chapter 2 as we close out uh, these handful of months that we've spent uh, studying 
the words that you laid on Joel and Amos' heart to share with your people. We pray now that you'll make us good students of your word. Jesus, we want to understand uh, the love you have for us, what you accomplished for us, and what you have for us more after having spent this time together. Spirit, we need you to make that happen. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so our text is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, and you kind of already heard it because Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2, but if you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28, or if you want to grab any of the pew Bibles there, um, it's on page 762, 762. I'm going to read for us now. Joel writing to God's people uh, under inspiration, this word from the Lord, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And what he's saying is it shall come out, come up, it shall come afterwards, everything that Josh was talking about, all of these works of restoration that God was doing, the culminating piece of that, it shall come after that, to pass afterward, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants in those days. I'll pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Let's just walk through this text real quickly, make sure we understand what Joel is sharing with the people. Like here in verses 28 through 29, which will be the, the pretty much the crux of what we're going to talk about, God makes this promise. He promises through Joel here that all of his people are going to experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There will come a day, he says, when my people, all my people, will have my spirit poured out on them. That it will be universally applied to all of God's people. It's a promise of God's presence in an unprecedented abundance. Like we'll experience God's presence in a, in a way that future generations, I mean past generations, could not have really fathomed. Uh, one commentator was talking about this gift of the Holy Spirit. He said the gift of the Holy Spirit brings this direct experience with God and a grace that enables his people to love God from their hearts. Like it's a relational restoration that takes place. Like we're going to experience God's presence in a way that believers had not experienced prior to that so that we could enjoy his presence in a fullness. And it's going to be applied to everyone in God's family. That's why God says, I'm going to send it to your sons, I'm going to send it to your daughters, and also your servants. Anyone who's part of God's family will receive it. And that experience is an experience of his presence, of connection with him, communication with him, more understanding, like all that comes with having that intimate relationship with the Lord. And then in verses 30 and 31, he talks about these wonders in heaven, the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke, sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and that will be the great and awesome day of the Lord. So some commentators, some scholars, as they're reflecting on this kind of apocalyptic, illustrative uh, language that Joel uses, some see it as sort of being a picture of what happens at Calvary, right? When, this, when the world goes dark at the death of Jesus uh, on the cross. Uh, others just see it strictly as symbolic. So there's just not a lot of agreement on exactly how to, how to handle those couple of verses. But what is in agreement is it's marking it. It's marking saying that there will come a transitional moment in redemptive history. When God pours out his spirit, things have changed. We've moved from one age into another age. That's what's happening. That's the, that's the moment of transition in the grand story that God is writing. And then we have in verse 32, we have this promise that 
uh, it says, shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so it's a promise of salvation and restoration for any who repent. Their story will be a story of restoration. Then he also gives a promise that there'll be a remnant from, from Joel's day, that there'll be those that even before the Spirit is poured out, there'll be those who are saved from this judgment so that there can be this future pouring out of the Spirit. So that's what's going on here in our text. And as we spend the next little bit of time looking at this, I want to look at these verses from Joel chapter 2 from two angles. I want us to think about what Joel says here about the pouring out of the Spirit, sort of in, in reference to the big story, like the restoration of God's people as a whole, like the corporate story. I want to look at the big picture. But then I also want to spend some time, and I want us to look at, at Joel two, chapter 2 and God's pouring out of Spirit and what that means for your story and my story, like restoration of a person. There's restoration of a people, but it's also a promise of restoration for a person, you and me. So that's what we'll look at today. When we first talk about this big story, restoration of God's people, that's where the Acts chapter 2 connection comes in because we have Peter saying there on what we refer to as the day of Pentecost, he's saying, this is being fulfilled in your presence. That's why all these followers of Jesus can speak in tongues because they've received this spirit. It's a marker today of the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. And I want us to remember the the big story, like the big gospel story, the story that God has been writing from the beginning. And uh, you've probably heard it framed up this way, uh, but if this is your first time, I hope it's helpful. Like when we think about the whole story that God is writing, there's essentially like four sections of the story as we move through it. The story starts with creation. God creates in the garden, everything is perfect. And Adam and Eve are walking with God. But then comes the fall. That's the second sort of epic. The fall when Adam and Eve reject God's kingship in their life and they reject God. They want to be their own kings. But God makes a promise at the fall that he will send one who will redeem his people. That redemption comes with Jesus. So we have creation, fall, redemption. That's what happens when Jesus comes to leverage his own life, his own perfection, his holiness, so he can achieve our redemption. So he can rescue us. And then there will come restoration or recreation or glorification, whichever word you want to use. Today we'll use the word restoration. So we have this big sort of unfolding story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And what we find out here in Acts chapter 2 is that Joel was giving us a signpost of the transition into the days of restoration. And it began there at Pentecost. So in God's big story, something major happened in Acts chapter 2, and that was that the age of redemption was transitioning into the age of restoration. Now there's an already and a not yet aspect to that. Like restoration is happening, but restoration has not been fully accomplished. Redemption has been fully accomplished. Nothing else needs to happen for the redemption of God's people. But for the experience of restoration, there's a a portion that happens through the pouring out of the Spirit to mark that it's the beginning of that time, but then there'll be a fullness of it when Jesus returns. And so we have Acts chapter 2 helping us understand where we are in this big story that God is telling, and which means that you and I live in the season of restoration. We live in the final chapter of the story that God is writing. We live in the days of restoration because we live on this side of Pentecost. Now, Joel 2 applies to us individually, but what I want us to also see here is it applies to us corporately because we are a people 
who this is our story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And as a people, we solidly live on this side of Pentecost, which means we need to expect that life right now for us as God's people will be themed by restoration because those are the days that we live in. So in a big, big picture sense, Joel 2 has been fulfilled. We are in these days of restoration. That's Peter's point, which means we live in the day when the Spirit continues to be poured out and those who call in the name of the Lord continue to be saved. Like those are the two things going on in this day of restoration, in this season of restoration. So what's that mean for us? What should we expect that God's going to be doing in this season of redemptive history where we live? Well, one thing we should expect is we should expect that he's going to bring restoration by continuing to give the Spirit, which he does. Like every believer has received the Spirit. You and I don't ever live as followers of Jesus disconnected from the Spirit. We may be quenching the Spirit, we may be stiff-arming the Spirit, but we have the Spirit. He's been poured out on us. And we also live in a moment in redemptive history when God continues to want people to cry out to the Lord and be saved. We know that because in Romans chapter 10, Paul's writing to the New Testament church, he says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. He's quoting Joel chapter 2 again. Like this is the day of people being filled with the Spirit and crying out for other people. There's a way for you to be filled with the Spirit and made right with the Lord. Call out on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Now, what does that mean for you and me that we live in this season of restoration? It means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've had the Spirit already poured out on you. You've been uniquely blessed so that you have a, an unprecedented, unprecedented access to the presence of God and to the enjoyment of the intimacy and relationship with him because you live on this side of Pentecost. You and I are blessed to never know what it's like to follow God but not have his spirit indwell us. We take that so for granted. I was talking with some of our elders at a meeting earlier this week because I've just been thinking about this a lot. Like I read the Old Testament and even like reading about the, like the, the disciples in the New Testament, I'm like what is the deal with these people? Like they say they love the Lord and then they do all these things and they live in all these ways and they make all these choices. Like that is, does not make sense. Is it because I'm just a better follower of Jesus or a better Christian than they are? Is, is that what it is for you? Like no, I don't think so. Like when we look back and we see their story, they're following the Lord but they don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So it's, I mean, it's a train wreck as they try to manage their lives following the Lord without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you and I look at our lives, the presence of the Holy Spirit is why our lives look so much different than the disciples and the Old Testament saints. It's not because we're better, it's because we've been blessed with the presence of the Holy Spirit and yet we take him for granted. We don't realize what a blessing it is. That actually the desires of our heart are being changed from the inside out that you and I will never know a day without that intimate presence of the Lord. Now, you, with, with you and I living in this unique moment when we have God's presence, we're living in an age when God is restoring us in relationship with him, but he's also restoring other relationships. And relationships are, are like the fabric of his world, and so God is in that process of restoration. You know, we live in a day when the gospel is offered and men and women of all types can call out and not become Jewish and thus have a relationship with the Lord, but cry out from wherever they are and have immediate restoration through the Lord. There is no, there's, there's no path that they have to come into a new people. They can immediately become a part of those people because all they have to do is cry out and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. 
And so you and I are privileged to live on this side of Pentecost and to be God's people living in this season of restoration. And we need to ask ourselves, what do our lives look like? Do we look like a people who realize that God has restored us and he uses us to restore relationships with other people? So let's talk about our story. Our story, restoration, not just for a people, but for us as an individual person. So restoration in your story, restoration between your, you and God, your relationship with God. If you're a follower of Jesus, what God promised in Joel chapter 2 was for a people, but it was also for you as a person. Because you and I also live in this same story, right? And we have a micro version of that story. You were created, you were created fallen, right? You were born fallen because you were born uh, of, of a human father and mother. And so therefore you're born fallen, but you have the opportunity of redemption because the gospel is offered to you. And when you respond to that offer of the gospel, you experience restoration. And then you and I live in this tension where those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've experienced redemption, but we don't always feel the restoration. Because sometimes you and I are leaning into the spirit and sometimes you and I are quenching the spirit, stiff arming the spirit. But either way, your story, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're no longer living fallen. You're living redeemed and restored. And we want to lean into that restoration that we've been given. We want to experience that restoration. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a powerful and beautiful testimony to the fact that God really has restored you in relationship with him. Like if there's only one thing you take away from Joel chapter 2, I want you to know that because you live on this side of Pentecost, you can know experientially in a way that other believers prior to Pentecost couldn't know it. You can know the favor, the love, the joy of God in you. It's not that he loves you more than he loved them, but you'll have an experience of it that I want you to take hold of. Like the fact that you have the spirit that has been poured out on you is because your God wants you to experience intimacy with him. He wants you to know that you're loved. He wants you to know that you're restored and to live out of that knowledge. Now, for you and me, if we're going to live restored or living a restored story, which is what God's given us, um, a great place for us to go and try to wrestle with what should that look like is Galatians chapter 5. Right? When we're wrestling with, we're supposed to, we're told by Paul in Galatians chapter 5, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He talks about walking by the Spirit versus the gratification of the flesh. And so a restored life is going to be a Spirit-filled life. It's going to be a Spirit-dependent life. It's going to be a Spirit-celebrated life. And God has restored our relationship to him. And then what the Spirit does is doesn't just restore our relationship to him. God pours out his Spirit so that all of our relationships end up being restored. Because if we look at what Paul says about sort of a, the experience, our experience of having the Spirit poured out on us, it's counter these works of the flesh. We have the, right, we have the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. Remember what he said in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, these works of the flesh... They're works of relational brokenness, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. These are all the theme of all of these things. It's either broken relationship with the Lord or broken relationship with other people. Relational brokenness. That's the theme of, sto of, of any story that doesn't have the Spirit. The Spirit's the only thing that brings redemption, that brings, I shouldn't say redemption, restoration on top of redemption into our story. These relationships that our sin has broken, these relationships that other people's sin has broken between us, it's only the Spirit that can actually bring 
the experience of restoration. Because these used to be the themes of our story if you're a follower of Jesus, but not anymore. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then there's still a theme of your story. Relational brokenness instead of relational restoration is the theme of your story. So if you look at your story and you're not seeing desire and you're not seeing the experience of relational restoration, then it, it highlights one of two things. Either there isn't any spirit in your story, which is just a call to cry out to Jesus, that he would actually rescue you out of the trouble of your own making. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then it means if you still see these things in the midst of your life, which you will, what's your perspective on them? Do you long for restoration? We're coming up on Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is a beautiful holiday, but it's also usually a pretty stressful holiday because it's highly relational. You get a lot of people together, and you try and see if you can have peaceful conversation around uh, around the Thanksgiving table. And oftentimes, you and I walk into relational moments like that, and we're like, man, I hope it's peaceful. And what do we hope? I hope uncle so-and-so doesn't say that thing he always loves to say. I hope he doesn't bring up that topic he always wants to bring up. You and I approach a lot of relationships and we're like, I hope that other person fixes this. I hope they show up the way that they should. When actually the gifts of the spirit, I mean like, how am I gonna show up? How can I show up at Thanksgiving in such a way that I'll be an agent of restoration? Because if we look at what the, the fruit of the spirit is, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Spirit makes us agents of restoration. Because we've been restored to God, we actually can be a a catalyst for restoration in other relationships. Because God works that restoration in our relationship with Him, and that positively affects all of our other other relationships. Like, for you and me specifically, part of what it means to live in the age and the day of restoration is that God is restoring people to himself and he uses our restored relationships to continue that work. He's restoring people to himself through the restoration that we get to work through other, through other relationships. And so I want to encourage you this Thanksgiving, is there a way that you can show up in such a way that you're the agent of restoration? So that you go in and you bring the fruit of the Spirit around the table and where there was dissension and strife and envy in previous years, you seek to come in with self-control, with kindness, and with gentleness. I have to talk about Taylor Swift this week because we're all thinking about it. I know we are. At least if you've been on YouTube at all, everyone's talking about Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift has just released all of her Taylor version of her Red album. If you don't know any of this, this is a wonderful, a wonderful wormhole you can go down. Uh, and so Taylor Swift has and I'm just going to be honest, like, I love breakup songs. I absolutely love breakup songs. It's like my favorite style of music, which is bizarre. I realize that. Uh, but there's a song that Taylor Swift released years ago, years ago called All Too Well. And it is one of the best breakup songs that's ever been written. Uh, but she has now reclaimed the rights to that song and released the Taylor version of that song. And it's 10 minutes long. It's incredibly long. And she tor- turned it into a short film, which I have mixed feelings about. But this, and also I want, to, I want to let you know, like, not the cleanest, not the cleanest song you'll ever listen to either. But in this song, the four-minute version, you're like, man, she experienced so much heartbreak. In the ten-minute version, you're like, man, she has a lot more to say about that heartbreak. Like, it's a long song about a broken relationship that will never be restored. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was like, you know what's missing in All Too Well? 
is whoever this guy is, who we all know who it is, but whoever this guy is that broke her heart, neither one of them came back together with the fruits of the Spirit. There was no gentleness, there was no kindness, there was no self-control, and so there's heartbreak, and there's brokenness, and there's relational estrangement, and there's no restoration. So if you happen to listen to Taylor's song, could have used some fruit of the Spirit. That's what that song could have used. That's what any of our broken relationships can use. So if you have, and I, and I say this because each one of us has a relationship. I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. In some relationships, some romantic relationships, it's okay to be like, hey, that, that is going to be what it's going to be. Because if you're already married to somebody else, I don't want you to go and try to really fix things up with somebody that you're not married to anymore. Like, I really don't want you to do that. Uh, but there are broken, strained relationships that you and I are going to see so clearly this week. I want us to walk into those relationships knowing that we live in the day of restoration and that the Spirit does a work in us so that we can actually be agents of that restoration. Like you and I have unprecedented intimacy with the Lord such that you and I can be agents of self-sacrifice because that's what self-control and kindness and gentleness actually is. Sacrificing yourself for the good of someone else because we've had our relationship with the Lord restored. He's poured his spirit out on us so that we can be agents of that restoration in other people's lives. Father, thanks so much for this time to, th to spend thinking about and wrestling with restoration. What it means to be a restoration people, what it means to, that you've restored our relationship to you. Lord, we thank you that we get to be men and women and children that, that are walking across this earth and interacting with folks in a day that you have said is a day when you are restoring all things. You've poured out your spirit. Lord, I pray you'll help each of us to see what a blessing that is. And then in a very tangible way, Lord, I pray that our lives will look like restored lives and lives that love restoration. Lord, I pray for each of us and the phone calls that we'll make, the conversations that we'll have, the folks that we're going to visit, the people that are going to come to our home, all the different aspects of re the relational networks that we're a part of. I pray that you will fill us up, Spirit, so that we show up in every one of those conversations longing for restoration. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you longed for restoration. And so for our relationship with you, you've made it happen. We celebrate you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? We'll sing.